When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am talking with Catherine Queering. Catherine is a licensed medical health counselor and self-trust coach. She helps ex-evangelicals learn to trust their desires and reconnect to their inner wisdom. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. Um, so we start each interview with a small joy. What's something that's bringing you joy today? Um, I just finished the book, The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter by Sue Kidd, and it was just so life-giving. Like, oh. So that's my, my joy. <laughs> oh, nice. Is it fiction or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. It's basically like her memoir about her transition from um, high control religion to embracing the divine feminine and like goddess and female empowerment in her life. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, so can we talk, yeah, like kind of on that topic, like tell us your story. How did you get into the work that you're doing? Um, so I moved back to my hometown a few years ago and I, decided it was time to kind of confront some triggers that I didn't know were still there. I'd been kind of creating more space for myself and my life and my spirituality and more connection to myself. And um, I realized that there were still some things, even within this good life that I created for myself, that were still triggering from my religious upbringing. And um, the the biggest thing for me actually was Christian radio. Um I just, I could not turn it on. And there's so many Christian radio stations here where I'm at and the, the Christianese and the so much, I was just like, what is it about that is just like driving me crazy. It makes me feel so reactive and small and like, you know, all these reactions I had. And so I decided to do a deep dive into trying to figure out those subtle triggers. And um, so that led me on the journey that I've been on this past year of like really diving into that. And um, it's been really helpful and life-changing and um, really reaffirming this need to trust myself and my own inner wisdom, which in um, like medical psychological terms, we would call interoception. So um, it is not just a woo-woo term. It is like really like a neurobiological nervous system type awareness that we have that in our dualistic society where we think only head and logic are important and we cut off our body, we cut off that kind of knowing. Um, And so it's reclaiming that and being like, I can listen to my emotions. I can listen to my body cues. They're actually going to tell me what's safe. They're going to tell me what's good for me. 
They're going to help me process what's happening to me instead of them being something dangerous and something I have to feel shame about or manage or control. They're life-giving and they're helping me through this life. Mm. So how old were you when you left the church? How, I mean, how did you make that decision? Well, I'm I'm still in a church. I'm in a PCUSA church. My husband's a pastor. And um, it's been, I grew up in a big Southern Baptist church in my hometown when I moved to college. I actually went to a Christian college and there were lots of different denominations and ways of knowing God and ways of exploring that. So that was kind of my next step of opening. Like I knew Mm. the Southern Baptist culture was not the best place for me. And so I just kind of kept expanding And what was most helpful to me in that was um, finding the rhythm of the liturgy and contemplative practices that let me connect both with myself and with God. And so then I was creating more space for myself within that relationship and kind of changing my conception of God to being more of a shepherd and being more compassionate and being more um, open and all of my emotions being okay and all of that kind of stuff. And then being able to step through kind of this doorway of I don't have to interpret the scripture literally, and it doesn't have to be my only authority. That was a big shift. Mm -hmm. And um, then that enabled me to be open to all this other wisdom, right? Like more of my internal Mm -hmm. wisdom, more of like wisdom from any person and any religious background or science or whatever, right? That we can Mm -hmm. bring all of that together. And I think actually anything that feels like it's repeated, that means it's more true, right? Like it's more likely that it's true when lots of different people are coming to similar conclusions from different perspectives, Mm. right? Instead of that being something to be suspicious of. So that's been really lovely. Um, As a therapist, I, in the last few years, have gotten trained in internal family systems and it's... Yeah, you look so excited. Uh, yeah, I like as I'm. I am so interested. Yeah, um, it has been really life changing for me and for my clients. And I think part of it is because it gives us this um, better framework for how humans work and our human nature and how to care for ourselves and how to be in community both with ourselves and take care of our inner worlds and be in community with those around us and larger substructures like. Um, how do we connect and care for each other and create systems and a world that is supportive? Um, and so that's been really life-giving. I call it like it's psycho-spiritual, not just mm-hmm. psychological, because as you help unburden all of the parts of you that have been holding these negative messages and trying to help you in their own ways, um, that end up having like internal wars inside, you're helping mm-hmm. those parts be able to be your friends and be your inner team um, your inner family and your core self, which I think you could call your soul, um, gets to be the new like attachment figure and kind leader. And like uh, in a Christian term, like gets to be Jesus to yourself, right? You get to have those qualities mm-hmm. for yourself. And so that's compassion, clarity, courage, connection. Um, there's just a plethora, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's so lovely to have that resource inside. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, it makes sense. It's interesting to me as well, because for me, my like deconstruction journey took me from being deeply religious and like super Christian to 
I, you know, I was, I went to a Southern Baptist college. I, and in an Old Testament class was the moment for me where I was like, oh, there's historical context to yeah. the, 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 it was like the letters of Paul. Um, so it must have been a New Testament class, but um, it was in this class and I was like, there's historical context. And all of a sudden these rules yeah. that I had like just taken on without critically thinking about them at all, because adults told yeah. me this is what I should think and believe. And this is the way of the world. And I like just, it was just like, oh no, <laughs> it's right. like crumbling around me. And I think for me, that journey took me, you know, out of the church and, um, more like more like secular humanist territory, mm-hmm. and now. But then I'm so fascinated by people who stay stay get to hold on to Jesus, right? Because I think there's so much about that right. that I miss, right? And so, so I can't imagine. Okay. I feel like for me, I'm Christian-ish or Christian adjacent. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the the church is not, or the Bible is not, where I find most of my life giving things now. Personally, mm-hmm. it's more divine feminine. Um, and like I was saying with the attachment to my core self, I feel like that enables the spiritual, um, connection to the earth, to mm-hmm. mother earth, like divine feminine, whatever father, God, you know, like whatever that is of the divine, there's space to connect to that safely and be fully connected mm. to myself and myself. And so then it's just like, okay, well, I don't know what words to put to that, but that's okay. I'm can explore that. And I think it's interesting. This is one of my hypotheses about how the Enneagram can help us understand our deconstruction process is that I'm a two, so I'm in the heart triad, right? And so I started deconstructing with my emotions. Mm. Right? And it sounds like you and as a seven in the head triad started with the doctrine, right? Because that yeah. is a way of connecting and making sense of things. And then we get to do all of the other parts, right? So like I've started reclaiming my body and then in the last year going through the doctrines, but it started with my inner world and my emotions first for me. Everybody has a different entry point to that. Yeah. And even like you mentioned, like listening to the songs and that bringing up like emotion for you and, and like, for me, it goes to like the intellect. I'm always like, well, what, even what I'm, I am triggered by is the, is from the head up or like the neck up. So fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. So as let's say maybe, I know I have a lot of people here who are in that space of leaving, you know, we're just kind of starting to have those moments where it's like, I, I get DMs all the time of people who are like, I'm still in the church, but I can just like feel, um, things changing. And, um, if we're in that space, how do we begin this like journey to trusting ourselves and believing that like, if we have doubts, cause I want to say like, I remember, um, can I tell you two instances that I fear for people that I experienced? So one experience I had was I was at a church conference or a prayer. I was the international house of prayer at a conference and I felt like my inner knowing was saying like, no, this is not good. And I was like, I need to go. I'm going to go for a walk. And my internal, my like head was saying, what is wrong with me that I'm uncomfortable here? Like, why am I uncomfortable in this scenario? Do I have a demon? Like literally (laughs) thinking like, am I 
possessed or evil in some way. And it took me, you know, it took so long to get to a point where I can like really know for sure that I'm okay. <laughs> like, um, but I, I, and I think we can start there. Like, I think there are people who are probably still in the thick of it, starting to recognize I'm not okay with this, or this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel potentially even like Jesus. And how do we build that sense of self-trust? Like, where do we start? Right. So I think there's a few entry points. Um, one is acknowledging like what you're saying, that we have been trained to think that if we feel bad, if we can feel something bad or like cognitively things don't feel like they fit, that the problem is us. And we start examining ourselves to like figure out what's wrong and why can't we fit in the system and why doesn't this feel good to us when it supposedly feels good to everyone around us, right? Um, what if you can expand that and say, can I? can I look at what the system's doing too, right? Is mm -hmm. there space for that? It may or may not feel safe yet to do that, mm -hmm. right? But just to have some curiosity about like, maybe it's not me. That's mm -hmm. actually like a healing trajectory that I've seen in general across lots of issues is first, there's this sense of it's all about me. It's all my fault. This is something wrong with me to like, is it actually about me to like, it's not me. And if it's not me, then I can know that I'm good and I'm okay. And this might be painful, but I can get through it because I know mm -hmm. I'm okay and it's not about me. And so, you know, that is one little piece of it. I think this being aware of your own feelings and acknowledging them and coming to them with curiosity, right? Instead of this judgment, right? Being aware of like, oh, yeah, like I'm thinking there, I might have to punish myself about this or this might be conviction or all these interpretations we put around our feelings and our body reactions that no, can I just be curious about that and listen to what that's telling me? Um, and where do I feel that, right? Like if I feel that every time I'm in a certain setting, like a certain religious setting or a certain place, then maybe that's my body telling me this is not good for me or not safe for me. And what would it be like to listen to that without even having to go to the step of making like whole judgments or interpretations about the system yet, right? Like you may not be ready for that. Um, and it's okay to just say like, this isn't good for me. And I can say that without having to explain it to anyone, without having to prove that I'm right or wrong mm -hmm. about this. Just like this doesn't make me feel comfortable and I can be okay with expressing that need. Mm -hmm. just saying, like if anybody doesn't agree, like that's their, their stuff. Like I don't have to convince them for it to be okay. And that is a part of this religious drama, I think, that like we feel like if people around us don't agree, it must be wrong, right? And we've been trained mm -hmm. to think that way and we've been trained to intervene in other people's lives in that way. If we see them sinning or backsliding mm -hmm. or anything that might be rebellious, like that we're given this carte blanche to like intervene in their lives and judge them mm -hmm. in the name of accountability and caring for them. And that's mm -hmm. actually um, a power and control and manipulation tactic. And those are so interwoven. And so a, another entry point is like recognizing those power and control tactics and thinking about like, who is this actually benefiting? Um, right? Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Kind of thing. Yeah, that's the second story I didn't tell you, which is I had a friend. I quit going to the church service at school on campus, and I had a friend who was really, really struggled to do things alone, didn't like to go anywhere alone, didn't want to know. And she wanted me to go that night because she wanted to go and she wanted me to come with her. And I said, like, I don't think it's for, I don't think it's the right thing for me to do tonight. And she was like, I'm afraid you have a demon. Like her response was that. And it's now with perspective, right? I can look back and say, she used my fear of what I was, I had like expressed to her as my fear to try to coerce me so that she didn't have to be independent. Um, but in the moment, right. the part of me that believed in demons thought like, oh, no, <laughs> like, right. um, and really believed that that was possible. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that goes to, that makes me think the whole first part of my trust yourself again framework and course is about breaking down like all these ways that we've been taught to distrust ourselves mm-hmm. and how that is just so interspersed in the language and the teachings. And so- of course, you're going to think it has to be some external thing, right? Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. in this system that creates all this fear, right? That it must be demon. It can't just be, like, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, and that's like so interesting too, so that same inner knowing that we talk about, like I attributed to God, as long as I was doing what God wanted me to do, what, what I had been taught by the church, right? If that inner knowing aligned with what the church had taught me, then it was God. But if that inner knowing did not align with what the church taught me, then it must be a demon. Like it couldn't ever have been me. Right. So that actually was one of my first um, detangling things was in that framework, I still thought there was a devil, right? So like, it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, any internal accusing voice, which now I would call inner critics, um, that must be the devil. And only anything that is compassionate and caring is going to be God, right? So I don't have to listen to that at all, mm. right? I don't, that can't be conviction. It can't be God because it's accusing, right? And just like, even within that framework, right? There still can be these disentangling things of, I don't have to listen to those scary judgments and fears, right? And yeah. have a little more space to understand what's going on inside of me and only listen to what's creating life and compassion and openness. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about like how I can hear the Enneagram in this, like how much the the different ways of thinking of who we have to be kind of comes into play in this relationship to how we approach religion. Um, have you, have you seen patterns or, um, things within the Enneagram system that kind of make this process easier or make it make sense in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a whole blog about it and we can touch on points, but it's really long Um, about each of the different pieces of the Enneagram, giving us some wisdom about what's important to us or the lens we see that might help us work through this process. Right. So 
for me as a two, I really bought into all of the self-sacrificing, like you must give of yourself. The Good Samaritan story was like albatross around my neck because I was like, <laughs> anyone in need, like don't see, because if I see anyone in need, I have to help them. If I don't help them, I'm guilty, right? Like I'm being callous, whatever. And so, you know, that was my focus, right? And so being able to be more assertive and set boundaries and be like, actually, that's good for me. Actually, God knows I'm human. Like I can rest. All those kind of things were really helpful to me at the beginning. Um, and, you know, now being more in like feminist ideology and spaces, I can see like how that's so much the patriarchy, right? Like intertwined with the religion, just <laughs> crushing you down. Um, Crushing you from the... You, exactly. Um, so, you know, there's that. So like, because I was a two, right? That is what I latched onto, um, where I think each number has their specific thing that they might latch onto that feels like their really heavy thing, right? Based on um, that and also the sense of like our um, what are the, the core wounds right and what we need to hear to repair that right and thinking like so how do we get that in a way that doesn't feel so rigid right this thing that like this is what we're looking for to know that we have value and how can we embrace that sense of like I am whole I'm understood I'm safe you know all of the things that we need and that each number yeah. specifically needs um, I think also, you know, with the subtypes is interesting and helpful to think about the speed with which we go through the deconstruction process too, right? Like I'm a sexual subtype. I was trying to remember which one you are. Um, I am social self-pres pretty equal. Okay. I'm so like bottom of the road on social, like, <laughs> <laughs> like no social. Um, I self-pres my second. And so I'm like, once I know, once I know in my body, I'm like, okay, gone. I'm there. Right. Like mm -hmm. I make those decisions really fast. And I, I've seen like, that's hard for my husband because he's social self-pressed and he's like, mm -hmm. how is this going to impact people in the community? Right. Like I'm very aware of that. And so like for me, I'm like, I'm happy to be a mystic prophet. Like I'm going to tell, you know, like <laughs> be the example. Like, <laughs> And I can tell that's stressful for him. And I don't expect him to be in a different place. I don't even expect him to deconstruct. He's always been mm -hmm. non-judgmental and open. And so he's actually helped me in this process. When I met him, I was very conservative still. Um, and so that's been really life-giving to me to be around him. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was thinking, you know, people that are at different speeds of this might have judgments about people who are at a different speed, right? Well, you just made this split-second decision. How do you know that's right? Um, right. Or why is it taking you so long to disentangle from the community? Or, um, you know, why is it so slow? Like you're being so cautious about this, right. For the self press, mm -hmm. but like, it's okay. Everybody needs their different speed and their way mm -hmm. of processing that. Yeah. I, I, I love that too, of like holding that space for what we think we need to survive or like how we've approached survival at this point and how that's obviously going to impact the way that we, you know, how safe we even feel to potentially leave a community or leave our support system or um, risk that support system. And then I was thinking in terms of like the assertive style, like dutiful style mm -hmm. and the like withdrawn style, you know, the assertive ones, like they're probably, I'm guessing they're the ones that we are hearing be the loudest about this, right? Um, and are good at 
being that leading energy and voice, right? Of like, mm-hmm. this is the path. Um, and then the the cooperator, dutiful type, like me, is this path that I've been on of, um, can I be loyal to myself and listen to myself first over the people on around, right? Like I don't have to cooperate with these other rules and structures if they're not good for me, right? I don't have to listen to those expectations. I can release those expectations, but that has been part of um, my journey. And I think maybe a lot of people in the the one, two, six dutiful style Mm -hmm. of like, we are so focused on those expectations. Are those expectations actually helpful? Why are they mm-hmm. there? Who are they benefiting? Right. And so then I can release myself from those. Um, and then the withdrawn ones, you know, styled of four, five, nine, thinking, you know, they just may need time to like be in a little cocoon while they're processing, right? And like have more contemplative spaces for that. And that's okay. Yeah. And I would imagine them being much slower as well, like kind of taking their time and. Um, I'm thinking about my my sweet four husband too, about how he still is afraid of going to hell. And he like hasn't, I mean, he was never, I was like a Christian. Like I was like 24 hour prayer. Like I need a prayer room on my campus. Like I was like so intense. I was like evangelical and like, you know, missionary energy. My husband was always a critical thinker, you know, like even as a child to to the point where I think that's what? Ziva five wing. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm day to day. I'm like, which one's the leading the show here? Um, Yeah. And he he was always a questioner, always willing to ask the hard question, which obviously created like some shame in him in a religious family of like, well, you don't ask questions like don't bring that up. I don't want to think about that. Right. And um, so all that to say that he was never as like deeply ingrained and didn't really believe it like I did. Right. But I believe in hell less now than he does because his four propensity towards shame, right? And like fear of being bad or wrong or something being wrong in him is like still like wake up, wakes up in the middle of the night. Like, what if it's real? <laughs> you know? And like, what if I'm bad? And and it's yeah it's interesting because he's he's it's so much of a slower process for him whereas for me where it was like when I was done I was done when I when when I quit believing I quit believing there's just so much to unpack for I know everybody is like give me my Enneagram type and you said you have a blog post right Mm -hmm. okay so I will make sure to link to your blog down below in the notes because I know I'm gonna want you guys to be able to go read yours in detail a little bit more Um, But for those who are at home who are like, I really am going, I'm in the thick of it. I want support. I'm really tired of doing this alone. How can they connect with you? How can they work with you? So I have several different options. So I have um, two courses right now. One is about learning how to trust yourself. So that's reflecting on understanding these messages that taught taught you couldn't trust yourself. Um, and then releasing any of those that don't serve you anymore, reconnecting to yourself, reclaiming any parts of you you lost and reemerging more um, whole grounded and trusting yourself. And you can work through that at your own pace. Um, and there's the option of like a community support and um, then group coaching around that. I also do one-on-one coaching. Um, and you know, you can also just contact me and say like, this is where I am, what resources, like, yeah, <laughs> can yeah. you point me to first? Um, I also have the covert narcissism and religious culture course. And so that's going to help you understand like the systemic 
things and the power and control tactics and how to find safer spaces. Um, and I also have several like free quizzes and information about each of those. So like a little trust yourself again, masterclass um, with a video and a workbook and like a quiz of like, have I experienced covert narcissism in religious settings? And then another one for like attachment style to God and like, what was mm. it for? How can I securely attach to myself then after that? So Whoa. all on there and then other podcasts have been on and, um, other resources, right? So like books and podcasts and things that have been helpful in that journey. Sweet. And we'll make sure to link everything below so you all can find Catherine, um, all the places that she is online. Uh, anything lingering for you that you're like, I really want to make sure people who are in this process get to hear before we go? I think the, the keys are just curiosity and compassion right? So like having space for curiosity towards yourself and compassion towards yourself and those around, right? And that it might be different and also separating intent from impact, right? So like, I'm pretty clear that most of the people I was around, like their intent was good, um, but the impact was still negative and the community and the system as a whole is not willing to listen to the impact, right? They keep mm. um, just saying like, no, this is the right thing. And I want you to be able to listen to the impact for yourself, right? And say, like, regardless of the intent, I can listen to how this is impacting me and make decisions for myself. That is so good in so many areas. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on and doing this. It's an absolute joy. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.